Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. 8-7, Oklahoma. And another run. Great. Touchdown, Sooners. Clearly been really an, an understated issue is great. Another wow. run. How about the move? Brady steps away. Touchdown, Oklahoma. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be. I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be. I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk... Hey, I'm the last one to go out there and give any sense of false hope to anybody, but I think it's really time to start considering the fact that this Oklahoma football team is pretty good. I mean, we thought they would be okay. We thought they would be all right. We thought they would compete, you know, in the Big 12. But listen, guys, they're good. Um, I know it was Nebraska. I get it. I know what the doubters are going to say. I know what the haters are going to say. But this was a team that dominated – a classic rival in every facet of the game. Offense, Oklahoma was better. Defense, Oklahoma was better. Special teams, Oklahoma was better. Uniform combinations, Oklahoma was better. Every every sense of the of the imagination, every sense of this game, Oklahoma completely outclassed and outmatched uh, matched the Nebraska Cornhuskers on their way to a forty nine to fourteen win. It was better than I expected. If you listen to the podcast, if you remember, I predicted a 35 to 14 win for the Sooners. And and I, I didn't expect half of those 14 points to come in garbage time like they did for Nebraska. I really thought we would see Nebraska put up points on this Oklahoma team. I thought we would see a game that was, you know, I, I thought it would be close. And, and it was for like five minutes, but Oklahoma steps out of that first quarter up 14-7 to and then outscores the Huskers 21-0 in the second quarter, 14-0 in the third quarter until finally Nebraska gets a garbage time touchdown to get that 14th point on the board. But this was a, a game that was 49-7 to through the time that it mattered. And I... It, it doesn't matter, guys. Look, it doesn't matter the fact that Nebraska's one and three on the season. What matters is how Oklahoma looked in their win. Because you can beat a bad team and you can look not very good doing it. And I would tell you to go back to that first half against Kent State just oh, a week before. Oklahoma completely outclassed, completely out outplayed, dominated Kent State through the second yeah, the second half of that game. But you walked away going, man, what what the junk, man? What was that first 30 minutes all about? There's nothing that we're doing that with in terms of this Nebraska game. Oklahoma's offense looked good. A- again, a model of efficiency, 70% of its meaningful offensive possessions ended in a score. This go around it, it ended in a touchdown. Uh, the Sooners, t- uh, 31 first downs, 10 to 16 on third down, 580 total yards of offense. You saw Oklahoma run the ball for 312 yards, averaging 5.8 yards per carry. Dylan Gabriel and company, 8.9 yards per pass attempt. 
I mean, again, it was good. What what else can you say? Well, I think when you when you look at this offense and you begin to to break it down, the, the one thing that was real, well, actually, I guess two things that were really clear is is number one, the, through the UTEP game and through the Kent State game, we were looking at a a really vanilla offense. We weren't looking at a lot of uh, packages that were exotic. We, we weren't, I mean, it was just basic. It was, it was as basic as basic gets. And you can say that about both sides of the ball. And, and the thought was Nebraska is going to bring in a high profile offense. Casey Thompson, who is efficient in his own right in terms of passing efficiency, in terms of scoring a little bit turnover prone, but still I, the expectation was is that this offense would find success against Oklahoma's defense. But Oklahoma's offense is the one that really just flourished in this game. And I think, first of all, you got to say that it, it was it was a bad defense. I, I don't think anybody's going to argue that point. I even said in the in the pregame podcast that hey, is it possible that even you know Kent State and UTEP are better defenses than what Nebraska has? And I do. I think that's possible still after seeing them in you know seeing that game on Saturday. So I'm I'm not taking that away. I'm 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 going to jump on that and say this was a terrible defense. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma's offense did exactly what they needed to do against a terrible defense. And so, first of all, yeah, we don't we don't want to overlook the fact that it's been vanilla through game one and game two. And really, it was it wasn't it was better. Okay, it wasn't like um, it wasn't like Neapolitan. Okay, it was vanilla with a little bit of maybe strawberry chocolate sprinkled in. It still wasn't the full playbook. I don't think we've honestly. I don't think we've seen more than a third of what Jeff Levy wants to do with this offense. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But the second thing I think we need to talk about with this offense is Wanya Morris was not there through game one and game two. Wanya Morris absolutely there for this Nebraska game. And and you see a significant difference. It, it's, it's not a coincidence that the, the Oklahoma ran for 312 yards. It's not a coincidence that Oklahoma put up 580 total yards of offense. It's not a coincidence that once again, we saw this team outscore an opponent by 49 points. I mean, they, they went 49 unanswered points against Nebraska. Wanya Morris has to get some of the credit for seeing that happen, from, from making that take place. When you look at the components there that were with this offense, Dylan Gabriel was okay. He he wasn't bad. I don't want to I don't want to paint a picture that's not there with Dylan Gabriel because he was okay. He he was, and then that's why you described this game for him: two hundred and thirty total yards, eight and a half point eight and a half yards per per attempt. Two passing touchdowns. Of course, then he had the big, the big rushing touchdown uh, that really kind of got Oklahoma's offense going. What was that? A sixty-one yard touchdown. Average nine point two yards per rush. Six carries, fifty-five yards. I mean, some of that was pressure and sacks and so forth. But but he was all right. I th- I think when you're talking about game changers in, in this in this aspect for this game. I, I believe you talk about Dylan Gabriel probably third in this. 
I, I you want to you want to put Wanya Morris one or maybe two because Eric Gray gets uh, a comment here because look this is the Eric Gray that we had hoped to see was it not we we had hoped for this version of Eric Gray ten point three yards per carry two rushing touchdowns hundred and thirteen total rushing yards uh, for the day that that's what we hope for and and it's again not a coincidence not a coincidence that he goes off on his best game. After Wanya Morris gets reinserted to this offensive line, and now there's balance all the way across this line, the way that Bill Bidenbow really wanted to see. We're going to see them continue to flourish. But when you're talking about the the, the playmakers that really kind of set Oklahoma up for success, I, I think Eric Gray maybe one, Wanya Morris maybe two, and then you get to Dylan Gabriel. I, I think that's fair. And I think we got to note something else if we're going to talk about running backs. This is just kind of like a little sidebar, uh, something that's uh, not even in my notes, but just something to point out here is that through game one, game one and game two, we saw Marcus Major get half of the work that Eric Gray did. You go in game three on the road in, in Lincoln, and and guess what, guys? It's, it's Marcus Major got one more touch than Eric Gray in terms of rushing. But the production wasn't the same. The production wasn't there. Eric Gray, 11 carries, 113 yards, two touchdowns. Marcus Major, 12 carries, 35 yards in the score. If you're looking at averages there, it's 10.3 for Eric Gray, 2.9 for Marcus Major. And then you go down into the receiving categories. And, and of course, Marcus Major was the beneficiary of the, the trick play with the double tight ends. One catch, 24 yards, and the touchdown. Eric Gray had one catch for four yards. But you, you see Marcus Major outwork in terms of workload. Eric Gray for the first time this season. But for the first time this season, statistically, really when you're talking about yards per carry and production, Eric Gray had the better of the two games. This is the first time that you walk away from this going, man, Eric Gray really did look like the better of the two backs. Speaking of first times, how about Jalil Farouk? Can we say welcome to the season for him? Three catches for 58 yards and a touchdown. Uh, you probably say the same thing for Theo Weiss, finally getting uh, on the scoreboard. He only had two catches, but one of them was clutch for the touchdown. But Jalil Farouk, 19.3 yards per reception. Theo Weiss, 23 yards per reception. I don't want to say that they heard me wondering out loud who the number two wide receiver was on this team last week. I don't want to say that. I want to go there. But, I, I mean, look, it's I love the fact that now we've got, we've got depth. Ten guys caught passes for Oklahoma on, on Saturday. Of those ten... Two were running backs. So you got eight guys out there. And they're, and they're significant. I mean, we're not talking about garbage time passes. We're not talking about just garbage time receptions. By the way, Oklahoma averaged 14.1 yards per reception in this game. Think about that. Every completed pass was, was beyond a first down. Every completed pass moved the chains. That's how efficient... This passing game was Jillo Farouk, Theo Weiss, catching touchdown passes from Dylan Gabriel. Who would have thought, though, Braden Willis with the touchdown pass to Marcus Major. 
So, yeah, I mean, look, this, this was a great offensive performance for Oklahoma. And bad defense, bad team. But, again, you look at efficiency. I mean, this it was such a good offensive performance that Davis Bevel even got to throw the football. We had wondered out loud about Davis Bevel because he had played in the previous two games, and all he did was hand off left, hand off right, hand off middle. We hadn't got to see him actually throw a pass, but we did see him throw two of them on Saturday. Completed both of them, 14 yards, baby. That's how good. That's how good the offense was. And now, as Oklahoma gets ready to enter in a conference play, you gotta have. You gotta be confident, right? I mean, you gotta think this offense, knowing you haven't seen all of it, that they're they're going to be they're going to be better than solid in conference play. Think think about this. We saw. Braden Willis and Daniel Parker on the field for the first time that I'm aware of. That's the first time those two guys on the field together. And what a dangerous combo those two guys will be the more they get involved in this offense when they're on the field together. Which one of the two, especially when they line up like they did, side by side or one behind the other? How do you defend that? But you know what we haven't really seen? Marcus Major and Eric Gray together. So I am I'm saying there's aspects of this offense that that have yet to be unpacked for us. There there are packages and combos that we have not unraveled yet. Well, I guess Jeff Levy hasn't unraveled for us. So uh, this offense I believe is only going to get better. As the defenses Oklahoma face get better, Kansas State obviously will be a, I know they lost, but they'll be a better defensive um, challenge to Oklahoma than Nebraska was. And so as the defenses get better, I think the packages, the rotations, the the skill sets that we see on the field, I think they're going to get better. But it was all all roses for Oklahoma's offense at uh, 49 points. But Jeff Levy, I mean, look, they, 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 could have, they could have scored way more than what they did. We saw Davis Bevel come in the game in the third quarter. We've not seen that before. You would think you would see that against UTEP. You would think you would see that against Kent State. But no, you saw that against Nebraska. And it lets you know that Levy's comfortable. He's he's at a good place with this offense. He doesn't need to keep tinkering and seeing things out of Dylan Gabriel and, and the guys. Three games in, Jeff Levy feels good about where this offense is, and, and you should as well. But as good as the offense was, perhaps, perhaps the defense was even better. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Oklahoma steamrolls Nebraska 49-14, and after a little bit of a shaky start, Oklahoma's defense came to life and just lit the Huskers up. And this is, to me, this was the best part of this game because you knew, I knew, Nebraska knew, everybody knew Oklahoma was going to find offensive success. And yeah, there was. there's always going to be that portion, that small portion of the fan base that hits the panic button just just ready. They, they, they start the game with kind of like they're on like Jeopardy or is Jeopardy one, one where you hit the buzzer? What's one of those games when you hit the buzzer, like Family Feud or whatever? Their hands on it, just ready to hit the panic button. And you did. You saw some of that uh, early on in this Nebraska game when Oklahoma punts the opening possession. Nebraska scores as soon as they're down seven, nothing. Boom, 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 boom. We're hitting that panic button. But at the end of the day, this this team completely, absolutely obliterated the Nebraska offense. And it's I think it's time to say this about a couple of things. I'm, I'm going to talk about the defense in two different segments of this podcast, but the, it, we're, this is a defense that's better than we thought they were going to be. Uh, we're just going to go out there and say that because like the offense, they were vanilla through game one and game two. And I, I do believe, I, I believe, I still believe that this was the best offense that Oklahoma had faced this season. And it, people are going to look at the final score and go, oh, they only gave up 14 points. How can they be the best offense that Oklahoma's faced this season when Nebraska only scored 14 points? I, that, I, that's the point I'm making. This defense is better than we expected them to be. Now, granted, I, I, gave, I, I predicted 14 points for Nebraska. 35-14 was my score. But I thought it would be a more competitive 14 points. This was not a competitive 14 points. It was a competitive seven points, but when your when your second score doesn't come until the garbage time portion of the game, it was not a competitive fourteen points. I really thought we were looking somewhere along the way of like a twenty one to fourteen, twenty eight to fourteen late touchdown for Oklahoma to really solidify this thing. I mean, I picked the under in this game because I I was expecting Nebraska only to score fourteen. And that led some leeway, but look at the end of the, I, I, it was better than expected. When you look at the final numbers here, you got the you you got the fourteen points, six of seventeen third down conversions, zero for two on fourth down, two turnovers, and then the hey there should have been three. It was two turnovers and then the forced fumble that Key Lawrence tried to pick it up and run it in when he just if he would have just fallen on it, just fallen the ball, Key. If he just falls on it, then Oklahoma has three turnovers in this game, four quarterback sacks, nine tackles for loss. It's kind of like, you know, when you get in that fight and you show your opponent, look, this is what I can do to you. If I wanted to, this is what I could do. So how do you want to handle this? You know, you just, you, you have flexed, you've shown your skill, you've shown your talent, and now your opponent has to like, you know what, we're just going to chill, all right? We'll dance around the ring for a few minutes in this round, and then and then you got it, right? And that's kind of what happened here. You see Nebraska score, you got all that momentum, and then and then the defense just kind of went out, showed its skill set, it flexed, and they called off the dogs because Nebraska had no answers. And this was a mercy killing, if you'll allow me to use that. across the board, completely dominant. I think when when you walk out of this game, looking at what the defense did, 
you have to admit they're better than we thought they were. We thought they were good. They're better than good. But the big question here now is, is have we seen Pandora's box opened up in terms of Jaron Koenig? I mean, the, the toothpaste, right? Is it is it squeezed out of the tube now? Because you're not saying if you squeeze the toothpaste out, you can't put it back in. And we've seen Jaron Koenig. We have seen this kid play now in significant, meaningful moments. And he was good. He was better than good. And I, I know what Brent said after the game. You know, Brent Venables, he probably saw the quote, which kind of has to make you chuckle a little bit. When 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 he's basically said, like, he, Koenig doesn't know what he's doing. He hasn't learned to play linebacker yet. Ten tackles later, one quarterback hurry later, pretty good for a guy who doesn't know what he's doing. So can can you keep him on the sidelines? Is, is that an excuse? Is Venable saying, look, he doesn't really know I understand his position yet? And for that reason, we're going to keep him on the sidelines and use him in the capacity that we used him Saturday as an emergency backup guy. Deshaun White gets ejected for targeting or so so gets hurt. You can bring him back in there. But he's not going to be a starter. He's not going to be full-time cheated. He's not going to be full-time linebacker until he really learns the position. And so now you have an automatic excuse. You have a reason not to have him out there and to have Deshaun White out there instead. And it's not like Deshaun White was having a bad game. Remember, he only played a half. At the point of his ejection, he had he was sitting on six tackles and one quarterback sack. But then you look at Canet coming in there and leading the team with 10 tackles. Now, granted, seven of Canet's 10 tackles were assisted tackles. So in other words, if, if I'm tackling somebody at the same time you're tackling them, I don't get full credit for that tackle. I get a half. That's counted as a half of a tackle. And so you think, well, that was, I mean, that was, that was impressive that he, he got three, three total tackles on his own, but 70% of his tackles were assisted. And you think, okay, I mean, all right. But when you think about that, I mean, let's just, I hate to take you to math class here because I, I'm the last person that wants to do math. But if you think about that, three tackles were solo. Seven tackles were assisted. So that means you, on an assisted tackle, you have to have two tackles to equal one. Because an assisted tackle counts as half of a tackle. That means it's two to one there. And so when you're saying this kid had seven tackles that were made up of assisted tackles, what you're really saying is he was in on 14 other plays where the ball was stopped. Think about that. That means he was on this defense and, and he played a half 17 times. He was in on a play in which the ball was stopped. Three of them solo, seven of them, excuse me, 14 of them assisted. This kid was all over the place. True freshman who Brent Venable says doesn't know what he's doing yet. But, I mean, the, the, there were results. I mean, it was results all over the field with Jaron Koenig. And we've seen that. We've seen flashes of that against Kent, Kent State. We saw flashes of that against UTEP. So now have we opened Pandora's box for any time Deshaun White struggles? 
are we going to be yelling for Kanek to come into the game? Because that's like a real possibility. That, that could really happen, and, and you really could see results. But then if Brent's telling the truth, and I don't I don't think Brent is a Lincoln Riley type guy who just gives you coach speak, I would say if Brent Venable says that there are things that Jaron Kinnick doesn't understand about playing the linebacker position, he's, he's just out there going on instinct, and he's making mistakes that he's covering up with his athleticism. I would think if Brent Venable says that, then it's true. So how much is that going to hurt you against an offense like Oklahoma State? How much is that going to hurt you against an offense like Texas? How much is that going to hurt you once you get into conference play when he's making those little bitty mistakes that he can make up for with his athleticism? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is this kid's going to be a monster. We have yet to see the best of what he has to offer, but what he has offered has been really, really good. And it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really, really hard, in my opinion, especially if we, you see struggles from the personnel that's on the field ahead of him. It's going to be really hard to not see him on the field, to not want to see him on the field to not vocally express a desire to see him on the field. I, I do. I think that we've seen Pandora's box open up. And I, you know, the thing about Pandora's box is you can't close it. It's, once it's open, you can't close it. And I don't think we're closing the door on it, this anytime soon. Let's talk about offensive and defensive players of the game. I think defensively, you got to go with the guy I'm talking about, Jaron Kinnick. Now, there, were, there are other guys out there that you can you can give a hat tip to. Uh, I I mean, off the top of my head, you got four guys with quarterback sacks. I think Deshaun White, you know, was was in in there uh, before he gets ejected. Deshaun White's probably your top candidate for player of the game. Key Lawrence with the with the uh, interception. So there's guys out there that you can talk about. This defensive line, man, they 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 did what we what we talked about them doing. This game plan was perfect because you, I, and I said this going in, that you're going to probably see Reggie Grimes with lower numbers. That's exactly what we saw because the, the assignment was different for them. But man, Ethan Downs blowing plays up in the backfield. There's guys out there that you've got options for on offensive player of the game, excuse me, defensive player of the game. But I think at the end of the day, you got to go with the guy who led the team in tackles and that's Jaron Kinnick. On the offensive side, I, I don't know that uh, that we're going to talk about Dylan Gabriel as the offensive player of the game, but he did account for three touchdowns. But uh, to me, uh, it's again a guy I've mentioned. It's Eric Gray. If you carry the ball, if you get double-digit carries and you average double-digit yards per carry, you're going to be the player of the game. Especially when you score twice. So there you have it, offensive and defensive players of the game. Now, I've got three key thoughts coming off of this game that I want to share with you. And then we're going to talk about the, the Big 12 rundown. And uh, yeah, that's coming up next. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 
Oklahoma now 3-0 and on the season, 49-14 win over Nebraska. Kansas State coming to Norman for a night game on Saturday to open up Big 12 conference play. Hey, here's three thoughts, three takeaways uh, from this game for me uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, and then we'll go through the Big 12 rundown. Uh, first of all, th- this is a team that is noticeably more physical than what we had seen in the past. I, I was a guy who kind of resisted this idea, the concept that we're seeing uh, a finesse type of team under Lincoln Riley. But there, at the end of the day, when you look at this team, this team that's playing right now in 2022, and you compare that to 2021, 2020, this team is noticeably more physical defense man they are punishing you when they hit you 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 see them punish guys think about ethan downs breaking in behind the line of scrimmage on on the kind of a jet sweep type play and i mean driving the guy backwards and then powering him into the ground they, they, they are not only are we seeing them form tackle, not are we, are, are we seeing great technique out of them, sound coverage out of them. We're seeing them physically punish people for catching the ball, for running the ball, for throwing the ball. They, they are noticeably more physical and it's not just defense. You see the offensive line finishing blocks. I mean, Braden Willis is just, he's got to be in in this conversation now as one of the most key components of this team, not just because of what he can do by catching the football. We saw him throw the football, but I mean, watch the kid block. Think about how he is getting downfield. Think about, go go back to, uh, to the end around, um, play at the at the beginning of the season with uh, against against UTEP. And on that play, you see Gavin Freeman, I mean get the credit for the touchdown and and the story and all that stuff there. But man, watch Braden Willis on that play. Just blocking guys all the way downfield. Not good enough to block one. He's got to go after multiple guys. Pancake blocks, smash blocks, receivers are blocking, linemen are blocking, fullbacks are blocking. This is a more physical team. They are there is a focused mentality on being physical. And that's going to come in not just big for the SEC, but think back to Baylor. Think back to when Oklahoma lost at Baylor. It, it, they, Baylor was more physical than Oklahoma. There were times Oklahoma State was more physical than Oklahoma. Texas typically brings a brand of physicality that Oklahoma has to deal with. And when when you go into the type of program that Schmitty brings, when you're focusing on getting bigger, when you're getting stronger, you you can't help but be more physical because the mentality is, I'm getting bigger, I'm getting stronger, I need to flex that, I need to use that. And it feeds into this level of nasty that Brent Venables wants. And this is part of his plan. I think the word he used was relentless in terms of his defense. And they are relentless. This team is more physical, noticeably more physical than what we had seen previously under Lincoln Riley. I think the second takeaway from this game, going back to Dylan Gabriel, 
it's it's interesting. It's an interesting concept at the quarterback after seeing I mean you think about this. You had Baker Mayfield with Kyler Murray in the background. Then you had Kyler Murray. Then you had Jalen Hurts. Then you had Spencer Rattler with Caleb Williams in the background. And you had all these high-profile, uber-athletic, cannon-armed, beat-you-with-their-legs, swagger-type guys running the show for the University of Oklahoma. That's not Dylan Gabriel. He's not that guy. But what he is, is he's an excellent game manager who also has the ability to produce those momentum-changing plays. We saw that against Nebraska, right? I mean, he has been the model of efficiency. The model of efficiency is when I'm, when I'm directing this offense, do we score? And they do. They score. They, they, have, they string together multiple series of football where they score. It produces points. Seven out of ten significant drives. That's 70% of your drives on Saturday. Dylan Gabriel led them to the promised land. I think it was the same number against UTEP. It was a high number uh, against Kent State. And he, he does that by getting the ball into the hands of the guys who are the playmakers. Marvin Mims, he's a playmaker. I think we can confidently say after Saturday that Eric Gray is a playmaker. Theo Weiss, playmaker. Drake Stoops, playmaker. Braden Willis, yeah, he's a playmaker. So what does Dylan Gabriel do? He gets the ball into their hands in a situation where they can showcase their abilities. And that's okay. It's okay to be that guy. There are playmakers in the NFL right now starting for NFL franchises. There aren't very many Kyler Murrays. By the way, Kyler Murray was just ridiculous on Sunday. There's not very many Kyler Murrays. There's not very many Jalen Hurts. But you don't have to be that guy to be successful. You can be a game manager, and that's exactly what Dylan Gabriel is, and then you can possess that special moment, that special ability. And this game turned on Dylan Gabriel's touchdown run. That's when the game turned. I, I think Oklahoma was always going to win this game. I, I think Oklahoma was always going to walk out of that stadium the victor. The question was not how, but when, right? It was the question wasn't wasn't like how are they going to end? How are they going to find a way to beat Nebraska? That was never the question. The question was when was Nebraska going to stop fighting? New coach, crazy atmosphere, celebrating a past championship team. Nebraska scores first. That crowd is in it. They are ready. They're frenzied. Scott Frost isn't here anymore. Now we're back. We're on our way to, to rise from the ashes. And Dylan Gabriel shut that down. I mean, you, you see that crowd. It was stunned by Dylan Gabriel. You're thinking, man, if we're going to give up a 65-yard touchdown play, Longest of the season, by the way, for Oklahoma. It's going to be Marvin Mims beating somebody deep in our secondary. It's going to be Eric Gray. It's going to be Marcus Major. It's going to be Drake Stoops. It's never going to be the slow quarterback 
running for 65 yards against our defense. But that's absolutely what it was. And that's absolutely who Dylan Gabriel is. He's, he can make that play when the time comes. He's not going to be that guy that's called on to make that play every time the Sooners have the ball offensively. He's a facilitator. And, and he does it, he does it very, very well. By the way, at what point do we start like taking the topic of Dylan Gabriel not turning the ball over? At what point does that come off the shelf? It's like a pitcher in Major League Baseball. You can say like through the first inning, oh, he hasn't given up a hit. Second inning, third inning, fourth inning, you start saying, hey, we're not going to talk about this anymore. So when we get to the, the Kansas State game, is that when we stop talking about Dylan Gabriel not turning the football over? Is that when it becomes like the no-hitter rule? You don't talk about the no-hitter because you don't want to jinx it? Because Dylan Gabriel is almost there. I mean, he's through three games with no turnovers. I think if he gets through fourth game, we'll just start calling it the no-no. See what happens. See how far they can take us. All right, so here's my three thoughts. This team is more physical, noticeably more physical than what they have been in the past. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, excellent game manager, has the ability to produce a momentum-changing plays. And then number three, it's time to admit that this defensive front is the real deal. They dominated against UTEP, and they should have done that. They dominated against Kent State, and they should have done that. And the truth is, they dominated against Nebraska, and they should have done that. But when you're talking about tackles for loss, when you're talking about quarterback sacks, this defensive front is consistently producing those things. Running a very vanilla defense without without a lot of stunts, without a lot of blitzes, just straight up lining up and beating you. And they found a new way to do it this week against a very mobile quarterback in Casey Thompson. So they, they funneled it through the middle. And that's why you saw that pressure coming up through the middle. Nine, nine tackles for loss, four quarterback sacks. And, and that's average for this defense. Like, that's, that's not even spectacular for them. That's just, okay. I mean, are you kidding me? You're, you're telling me four quarterback sacks in one game is just, okay. Because we've seen it for three weeks now, and it's, we don't get excited about that. Because that's what they do. And because that's what they do, I think it's time to admit that this defensive front very much is for real. You've got guys out there like Reggie Grimes. You guys got Jordan Kelly, Jeffrey Johnson, Ethan Downs. I mean, they are in the opponent backfield with regularity. Jalen Redmond showing up big on Saturday in Lincoln. They are good, guys. And I think it's time to admit that. I think it's time to admit that this defense, yes, the secondary, still a question mark. I've got thoughts on the secondary. You saw them get beat. I, I'm I'm wondering, in in my the way the way I do, um, I have I have thoughts about this secondary. Are they as good as advertised? Can you explain to me why Damon Harmon, a sophomore, was out there on that first touchdown drive? Why was Damon Harmon out there? 
That's a free safety position that usually Key Lawrence is staffing, right? What happened? Where was Justin Broyles? We we know Robert Spears Jennings wasn't wasn't there. So Harmon was in place of Robert Spears Jennings, but what why? Are you still searching for answers in that defensive secondary? That's the only thing I can come up with. But that's still a question mark. But when your front seven is playing to the level that these guys are playing and producing the results that these guys are producing, you can afford, you actually can afford, it's a luxury to be able to afford to have some question marks still in the back end. Because when the quarterback doesn't have time, when the play can't get out of the backfield, it's really hard. It's really hard for that back end to get you beat. Not saying it can't happen because we saw it happen on Nebraska's opening drive. But I don't know that it can happen with consistency. So yeah, this defense to me has time to admit that it's the real deal. All right, Big 12 rundown, and we'll get out of here. We'll start turning our attention for the rest of the week to the Kansas State Wildcats. But uh, let's run down what happened in the Big 12 last weekend. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne. Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Okay, so here's something fun that I want to do um, as we do the Big 12 rundown. I, I want to look back through, and I want to see where I ranked the Big 12 at the beginning of the season to where I would rank the Big 12 after three weeks of football. So, for example, before the season even started, right, my top five in the Big 12 preseason, my top five were Oklahoma, Texas, TCU, Kansas State, and Kansas. That's right. I, I, was, the, I was the conductor for the Jayhawk train. I've been saying Kansas will be better this year all the way back in the preseason. So, those are starting to get some love. People are starting to catch on. The Jayhawks 3-0. I've been saying it for a while. That was my top five. My, my bottom five were West Virginia, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas Tech. So again, I'm going to give myself some credit, <laughs> some credit for Kansas, but there was other teams that I was completely wrong about. And if you listen to the podcast, you know I have no problems. I have no problems admitting where I was wrong. And because of that, I don't have any problems in taking credit when I was right. For example, Oklahoma over Nebraska. I told you the Sooners would cover that spread. And that was easy. That was an 11-point spread. You're favored by 11. You win by 35. That was easy. I told you to take the under. That that would, that would be under the total. And it was. Barely, but it was. So I don't mind taking credit. And you look through the Big 12 rundown, the Big 12 scoreboard this week, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, Oklahoma State, that was a garbage game. We didn't give that much time, much attention at all. Cowboys winning that thing. I mean, they had they had 49 points at the half. Cowboys win 63 to 7. NC State 27 to 14 over Texas Tech. I was wrong on this. Just from the standpoint, I, I I had Texas Tech losing. I for me, I just thought this game would be more of a battle. And even though it was less than a two-score loss for the Red Raiders, they lose by 13. They just you never just got the impression they were in this game. 
And and this is a team that I had number 10 in the Big 12 the start the season. They're 2-1. and one, But I think you see them play on the road at North Carolina State, and then you think, okay, there's, there's, there's some question marks here. And, and it could be another year of the struggle bus for Texas Tech in the Big 12. We'll find out. Baylor's 42-7 over Texas State. I thought... I thought Texas State, I thought the Bobcats, our Bearcats, where are they? I think they're the Bobcats. I thought I thought they would stay closer. I mean, Baylor was going to win this game. They, Baylor was never in danger or in jeopardy of winning this game, of losing this game. But I really thought it would be a closer game than what it was. It was like 21 to 7 at the half. And you think, okay, that's about where I thought it would be. But then the Bears outscore Texas State 21 to nothing in the second half for an easy 42 to 7 win. Speaking of big big second halves, Texas 24-3 over UTSA in the second half to pull out a 41-20 win over the Roadrunners. This, this game was tied 17-17 at the half. UTSA up 3 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I called this game to be close. And I'm thinking I'm spot on. B. John Robinson, by the way, 20 carries, 183 yards, three touchdowns in that game. West Virginia. Garbage game, 65-7 to over Townsend. Ohio, Iowa State, better than expected, guys. 43-10. to The Cyclones are now 3-0 on the season. 43-10 to over Ohio. I thought the Ohio Bobcats, and I know for sure they're the Bobcats. Thought they would be make this a little more tight. They didn't. Here's one I gave you. Tulane over Kansas State, 17-10. to I, I told you to take Tulane in the points here. I told you to take the under here. Because this game was just sitting there. It was just sitting there waiting, waiting for someone to take it. We saw Tulane and Norman to start the season last year. You know this team, that they were good back then. They're still good. Michael Pratt's still the quarterback of that team. They, I mean, look, they, they went into Manhattan. They, you're playing a good team. The week before you go to Norman, this was a trap game if there was ever a trap game. And Tulane, 17-10 over Kansas State. Don't expect that same Kansas State to show up in Norman Saturday night, by the way. And I told you to take Kansas over Houston. Dana Holgerson's got problems, guys. He may not make it back to the Big 12. Just saying. He may. And here's the thing. He's got like a massive clause in his contract for like a big, like millions of dollars bonus if Houston makes it into the Big 12. Cougars are sitting at one and two on the season. And they just lost at home to Kansas. I, I don't know that, that they want to keep Dana Holgerson into the Big 12. Unless you see a drastic turnaround. That was a disaster. Now, I don't want to take anything away from Kansas because I told you, I told you about their offense and they put up 48 points on Houston. And that was the main point I was picking the Jayhawks to cover that spread because they're, they're putting up massive numbers of points and Houston's giving up massive numbers of points. So I gave you Kansas over Houston. I hope you took it. And so now when, when you look at it, you know, three weeks into the season, how do you go back and, and judge the Big 12 from, from first to worst? 
So just to refresh, top five at the beginning of the season, before the first game was even played, top five, for me, I had Oklahoma, Texas, TCU, Kansas State, Kansas. Bottom five, West Virginia, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. When, When you look at that, I think the one glaring error that I made was Oklahoma State. That's probably the biggest mistake I made. Maybe it was a little bit of a homerism for me, but I'm thinking, look, this defensive secondary is going to struggle. Uh, the, you know, are there weapons for Spencer Sanders to to go to? How's the running game going to work? Uh, Spencer Sanders is going to be a turnover machine like he was in years past. And so far, all those answers have been have been given. So I've got now I've got Oklahoma State rising from number eight. I've got them at number four. My top three haven't changed. Despite the loss to Alabama, I still have Texas at number two in the Big 12. So my top three in the Big 12 is Oklahoma, Texas, TCU. I still got them there. They were my dark horse. Still got TCU there. At number four, I've got Oklahoma State. I still got Kansas at number five. They've not done anything to make me drop them. And if it wasn't for the rise of Oklahoma State, I would probably have brought Kansas up. Had TCU fallen on its face, I probably would have brought Kansas up. Still got Kansas at number five. I think they deserve it. I, you, you won't convince me otherwise. Then we make some changes in, in the bottom half. I got Iowa State coming up from originally I had them at number nine. I got them at number six now. Kansas State, who I originally had at number four, I've dropped them down to number seven. Baylor, I've dropped them down one spot to number eight. Now, Texas Tech, they were they were my basement team, and I actually had them on the rise until uh, NC State. But they're not in the basement. I've got them at number nine. And then the, the clear basement in the Big 12 right now is West Virginia. Now, they, they've got to turn some things around to save Neil Brown's job. But that's the clear basement right now, West Virginia. Worst team in the Big 12 at this moment. And who would have thought? Who would have thought it wasn't Kansas? Oh, yeah, the, this guy, me. I, I I told you that last month. So there you have it. That's it for the recapping week three of the college football season. Oklahoma 3-0 and in the season. The Sooners uh, holding steady in the polls. Uh, they're going to move uh, move into conference play with, with Kansas State this coming weekend. And we'll have all that breaking down for you at heartland-sports.com. Again, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing to the Sooner Nation podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hit that like button for us. Give us a good rating wherever you're finding us. We also have YouTube channels where we throw things out there. Heartland Sports on YouTube. Uh, You guys are the best. Thanks so much for participating. You can always hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Uh, You can also find us um, through email heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Over sooner. Bye.